Steve D'Angelo. Um, I think the first thing I want to do is wish you a belated happy birthday. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, taking on such an amazing mission. Well, thank um, you. And while we're on my birthday, mm -hmm. the most important thing about my birthday isn't the day of my birth. Mm -hmm. It's the hour of my birth. 4.20 p.m.? 4.20 p.m. This is in 1958, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not sure what was going on there, but uh, either mom was, you know, very, very clairvoyant or there's some bigger thing happening yeah. with cannabis. You've been a cannabis rights activist and an activist for the cannabis reform in the United States since you were about 16 years old. Yeah, I, I encountered the plant when I was 13 years old, right? Nice. Immediately fell in love and immediately knew I didn't want to spend the rest of my life like a criminal. I wasn't going to give up the plant, so there was just one option for me, right? That was to legalize cannabis. So. Nice. Took a few years for me to learn how to do that. Three years later, when I was 16, I did my first cannabis demonstration. Really? Tell me about that. So this was in Washington, D.C., and uh, there is a tradition in Washington, D.C., which began in 1971, of doing smoke-ins on the 4th of July. Uh, the idea being to demonstrate the futility of cannabis prohibition by gathering cannabis consumers in a public place all together and consuming publicly. And most often when we did that, there were zero arrests. Uh, so it was this very effective way of pointing up the, the basic hypocrisy of the laws. My first experience with cannabis was a spiritual experience. I didn't recognize it at the time, but it was. I uh, smoked a joint at a friend's house, felt nothing. Uh, and then started walking home. And I went through a park on my way home. Oh, I'm a 13-year-old boy, okay? A park doesn't mean anything to me. It's just something that I run through when I'm going to someplace else. Mm -hmm. But this day, I start walking through the park, and I notice these amazing things I had never noticed before. I feel the sun on the back of my neck. I mm -hmm. look up, and I see that light filtering through the trees and through the leaves, right? And then I notice that my my, my, there are leaves, dried leaves, crunching underneath my feet, and I can smell them. And then I hear this gurgling of a creek, and it's the water. And then I think about the sweat on the back of my neck from the sun, and I'm like, wow this is all one thing, and I'm like connected to it in this very intimate way. Right. So I didn't recognize that as a spiritual experience at the time. Looking backwards, it, it certainly was. Well, it was a process of education. Uh, when I was first introduced to the plant, I didn't really know anything about it, uh, except what the media and, and I had heard, right? Mm. So I had to learn, and in those days, learning about cannabis was really difficult. Uh, and so I would like skip school when I was going to junior high school, go to the University of Maryland, sneak into their library, and I would spend hours and hours going through card catalogs, walking up to the stacks where they have all these old original documents. Mm -hmm. And I read things like the East India Report from 1898 and the Canal Zone Report from 1922. Mm -hmm. I went back to the source material before Prohibition, and that's where I learned about the medical uses of cannabis, the industrial uses of cannabis, the history of why cannabis had been made illegal in the United States. Right. And when I learned that, when I learned what really lay behind cannabis prohibition, it just fired me up. I thought it was so outrageous and so unjust and such a wrong thing. Um, so that's what first impelled me, just the injustice. But now um, I think that there's another mission that we are really understanding about cannabis, right? And Mother Nature was so kind to us when she gave us this plant, right? On the one hand, it, it re-energizes our spirits and souls and teaches us to be in closer contact with nature, to value nature. And on the other hand, 
gives us the raw material that we need to build a new economy, right? Mm -hmm. And these two things together, if, 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 if these don't come together in a good way and we don't push this forward, I don't know if we're going to have a planet. The love that Andrew and I have is informed by losing our middle brother to whom we were very close. And so we are not ever going to lose each other, mm -hmm. right? That was a promise we made to each other a long, long time ago. I love it. Thank you very much. I'm going to do one quick thing before we move forward. Do you? Can you set this up so we're making sure we're recording with the? Uh, we're gonna. I want to make sure we're recording you, because um, I know he's got his his iPhone out there. But just set it up so we can do that. In the meantime, um, tell us a little bit about uh, how your relationship with your brother has. Um, you know, like, tell me a little bit about that, how that has actually expanded your ability to move this mission forward. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the great thing about having a brother that you've spent so much time with, you're so close to, uh, is that <clears throat> our communication is just, it's very, very intuitive. So right. Andrew and I can be in the same room, on other sides of the room, watching a meeting going on, and in one look, just across the room, we can transmit <coughs> our thoughts to each other perfectly, right? right? So, um, and as Ruth said, uh, you know, largely the pattern has been that I get these visions. Sometimes I don't even know where they come from. And I, when I'm chasing these visions, I'm kind of lightly tethered to the material world. Right. right. Um, uh, but Andrew uh, is, is very adept at catching these visions and then starting how to figure out how to actually execute on those visions and make them happen. Uh, so um, I, I probably burden him with way more visions uh, than is realistic, but he's just done a brilliant job at, at catching these things and figuring out how to hammer them together. Maybe elaborate a little bit on that, right? It's just how did that plant <clears throat> give you that leverage to really kind of bring your relationship with your brother full circle? Well, one thing that it gave us, as Andrew has just described, was it really opened the channels of communication between myself and my brother. Right. We had this very large age difference. I left home. He was still living at home. He was a jock. I was a freak. It was, you know, there was this big distance between us. 
So cannabis opened those channels of communication, mm -hmm. but it did something else that I think was really, really important, right? It gave us a common mission, right? right? We grew up during the Vietnam War. We grew up in a civil rights family. Mm -hmm. And when we discovered this plant, right, we immediately believed, I immediately believed, and I taught my brother, right, that cannabis can be a force for positive social change. Mm -hmm. And we embraced that mission, not to create a big legal industry or make billions of dollars or do any of that, right? right. But we embraced the mission because we thought that cannabis could save the world. I have spent uh, time with indigenous leaders. I just got back from Colombia where I met with the indigenous leaders of three different tribes there. And in Colombia, uh, cannabis is playing a, a, a part of the peace process there. Mm -hmm. uh, peace was, was, was signed, the peace accord was signed in 2016. And part of that, the idea was that cannabis would also be legalized. But for the indigenous people of Colombia, the cannabis trade has been a problem because they've been in the middle of all sorts of battles and gun battles and armies and guerrillas. Mm -hmm. So they're beginning to try and, and figure out what, what kind of place cannabis can have in their society. So I had an opportunity to meet with them and their message was crystal clear. It was crystal clear. And they all gave me the same message, leaders from three tribes, right? This plant, has come into your hands. When they say your hands, they're talking about us. They refer to us, the, the, the westernized mm -hmm. uh, urban world, as the younger brothers. Right? Mm -hmm. This plant has come into your hands, into the hands of the younger brothers, so that you can fix the damage that has been done to the planet because we don't have much time left. Right? So uh, if this is something that, you know, that we've heard now, a number of exactly what scientists are telling us is exactly the same thing. Right. So cannabis has this, this amazing, amazing potential to address that problem, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest problem all of us are facing, right? This planet is just threatened by all kinds of things. We've got mm -hmm. dictators pointing nuclear weapons at each other. We've got the globe that's heating up. We've got poison air and food and water. We're wiping out species. You've got kids who are such in a state of despair that they're blowing each other up, mm -hmm. right? And so here we have a plan, right? That on the one hand, will wake up our spirits and souls and bring us closer to nature and teach us to treasure her more. Mm -hmm. right? And on the other hand, gives us the raw material that we need to build a new green economy. Mm -hmm. uh, so the mission to me is, is, is really clear. Uh, the scientists are saying it. Indigenous leaders are saying it. You've had the good fortune recently, so I think we need to congratulate you and your team on this new merger, right? Which, uh, which I read about. I learned that it was a reverse takeover, which is an incredibly complex financial experience, right? I don't, you know, I don't know much about it, but I do know that it is a very complex thing. Can you speak a little bit about, A, uh, the words I actually used were engineered, like were you involved in engineering this experience, and how are you involved, and how do you see this now playing in to the new business of cannabis worldwide? Well, I was intimately involved in that decision-making process, and uh, we did just on Monday list on the Canadian Stock Exchange, HBOR is the ticker for anybody who would, who would like to know. And uh, it's a real milestone in the evolution of Harborside and the evolution of the cannabis industry. We started 
out as a nonprofit social justice organization who had a mission to legalize cannabis. Right. right? Well, we have accomplished that mission in our home state of California. Cannabis is legalized, right? And now we are growing from our beginnings as one dispensary into what we are today, which is seven dispensaries, 200,000 square feet of cultivation space, 250 employees, two different brands, several products. Um, and that reach uh, is going to give us the opportunity to spread the values that we think are associated with cannabis, that should be associated with cannabis, uh, much, much, uh, much farther circles. Beautiful. Um, clearly, when you reach, you know, a point where you may, you take a company public, right? I mean, it's funny you mentioned that it's on the Canadian stock exchange, right? Uh, and in reading a little bit about this this merger, there is a bit of a tenuous relationship with U.S. stock exchanges. Can you speak a little bit about that and why Canada would be more evolved in this experience than the U.S.? Well, aside from the fact that Canada is this very reasonable, polite, advanced, progressive country, uh, Canada did something very different with cannabis reform than the United States did. In Canada, it came from the federal government, and they had one change of law that applied to the entire nation. And so a lot of the problems that we've seen here in the States, you don't have in Canada. For example, we can't get banking here, right? right, because it's not federally legal, but it is federally legal in Canada, so they have banking, and they can get onto the public exchanges. So we are an, a company, all of our assets and all of our operations are in the United States mm -hmm. of America, and but for the laws that prohibit us from doing it, we would have listed on the New York Stock Exchange right. or the NASDAQ. Instead, uh, we were forced to go through this very complex set of transactions to be able to list on the Canadian Stock Exchange. And, you know, I love the Canadians. I'm so happy that Canada is there for us and the Canadian Stock Exchange opened because it gives us the capital that we need to really professionalize this industry. But as an American, I'm just in a state of shock and dismay that our federal government has decided to give away what is probably the most important economic opportunity in a hundred years to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And so hopefully uh, we see the federal government pull their head out of the sand and let American companies list on American exchanges and make American jobs. We've created in this industry 250,000 new jobs and they're good jobs. That's more than coal. And the federal government is still burying its head in the sand and claiming that cannabis has no medical properties. All right, it's changing the world. Um, look, we know what the world looks like today, right? Where pharmaceuticals and alcohol are the main consumed uh, uh, psychoactive substances. Mm -hmm. And the world's in a pretty difficult situation right now. What will the world look like when this industry is fully grown and we have taken this plant to everybody in the world who can use it? We have a pretty good sense of what will happen because we've seen it in multiple U.S. states that have legalized cannabis and the right. pattern is there over a course of several years and it's very clear, right? Not only does the sky not fall when you legalize cannabis, mm -hmm. it becomes much more blue, okay? Crime drops, alcohol consumption drops, pharmaceutical consumption drops, Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements drop, 
opioid prescriptions and opioid overdoses drop. Domestic violence drops by 40%. Okay? So what we know now from the earliest experiences is that when you make cannabis more accessible by legalizing it, mm -hmm. society becomes a better place, not just for the people who are consuming cannabis, for everybody. And what we have learned with cannabis is, is that the whole plant format of cannabis is like 10 times more effective than when you pull the individual little right. molecules out. So, so this is an important lesson in general for healthcare and for medicine, right? The idea that, that when nature gives us these therapeutic compounds, she gives them to us in containers that are well-balanced, uh, that do not have a, a list of side effects like something out of a Stephen King novel. Mm -hmm. And they're simple and they work, right? So I think that you're going to see the development of a whole new, you already are seeing a range of new medicines. So you know, people are talking about turmeric now. Mm -hmm. Turmeric is a plant-based therapeutic substance just like cannabis is. Uh, lavender, another example. Right? Uh, and, and so I think that there is, there is a whole world out there that, that it's not like we're discovering it. For thousands of years, that's been human medicine. For maybe 75 or 100 years, we've been pulling monomolecule isolates out. And I just, I think that, that when you take those individual chemical compounds out of Mother Nature's container, then you start experiencing problems. Your legacy, right? A hundred years from now, what are people going to remember Steve and Andrew D'Angelo for? What, what will they remember you for? I don't know if they'll remember us for anything, but I do know that if this vision and this mission is carried through on, there will be a planet for people to think about things on going to the future. And if we do not succeed in this mission, that might not happen. Beautiful. Andrew? Lovely. And I got one more. Please. <laughs> um, the job, our mission, right? Our mission is composed of two parts. Right? Mission number one, make sure everybody who needs cannabis gets it. Mm -hmm. Mission number two, which is equally important, make sure that every single person that is in prison for cannabis now comes home. So if, if we are known for anything 100 years from now, I would like to be known as the person that got our brothers and sisters out of prison. You have now a legal cannabis industry. Billions and billions of dollars are being made. Intergenerational wealth is being created. And almost exclusively, you've got white men who are reaping the rewards of that. Okay? Yeah. And, and I don't have any problem with that. I want everybody to prosper with cannabis. I think everybody can prosper with cannabis. But you can't do that and at the same time have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people 
mostly black and brown, locked up in prison with their family suffering through life without a breadwinner. Yeah. That has to be fixed.